Be seated. It is so good to see everyone this morning, so thankful you've chosen to be with us. We want to invite you to be with us uh, not only this morning, but also at 4 o'clock. We have classes that will begin at 4 o'clock. There will be two. One of them will be down in the uh, classroom where I teach on Sunday morning, and the other will be in the downstairs classroom where uh, the other adult class is. And so we hope that you'll be here for those two sessions as well. You can look on the, on the schedule if you haven't picked one of those up. Uh, if you'll hold your hand up, we'll get someone to bring you one. But if you'll look on the schedule, the one that is scheduled for in here will be down in the, in the classroom where I normally teach on Sunday morning down the hallway. One other thing that I do want to mention, there are some books that Ron and Don have uh, written and uh, they, they are hesitant, I think, sometimes to mention those, but I do want to mention them and, and recommend them highly. They're out in the foyer, and uh, you can purchase one of those or two of those or ever how many of those that you would like to have, and uh, it would be very, very good uh, as an addition to your library. A number of years ago, before I moved to the Atwood congregation, they were trying out preachers. And uh, before I actually went to try out, one of the elders had been hunting, and he had started down from his uh, deer stand and fell and bruised the side of his face. Well, at the same time, one of the other elders had gone in for some surgery on his face. And so one of the guys who came to try out looked, and he said, what in the world happened? And so one of the elders said, well, we had an elders meeting. <laughs> I promise you today we didn't have a preacher's meeting. One of our guest speakers this week has come in with a, a sling on his arm. I'm hobbling around. Uh, Zach is walking around with a crutch. But we didn't have an elders or, or a preacher's meeting or anything like that. We are glad that Don is able to be with us. He taught our Bible class in the auditorium this morning. But his brother Ron will be our speaker for this session, and I appreciate both of these fine men. I've known them for a long, long time. First met Ron, I guess, when he was preaching at Evergreen down in South Alabama. I was at Appleton, and uh, I, I have appreciated his work for so, so long. He's married to Bunny. They have two children. Both are grown, have three grandchildren. Am I correct in that? Those are the most important things, you know, when you get to be a grandparent. But Ron and Don both have done an outstanding work. Ron preaches for the Lincoln Congregation up in Huntsville, uh, has been there for a while now, and does a lot of great work in, in uh, counseling uh, uh, grief, uh, those who are uh, going through cancer and other kinds of things. And rather than taking up any more of his time this morning, we'll turn the floor over to Ron Williams. Mark has problems with his foot. Don has problems with his shoulder. And I told him I had no brain. So <laughs> have you ever thought what it must have been like to to have been Jesus on the earth, living among men, having left heaven to empty himself to become a man like you and I. 
It's no mistake at all that when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John about our Lord, that you find that Jesus, just like anyone else in the first century, and us today in the 21st century, get used to things like sickness and disease, and people that are crippled, and people that are maimed, and people that lose their minds in Alzheimer's or dementia, and yes, people that die. And thus, the unique thing that our Lord dealt with then is the same unique thing that we have and deal with today, almost 2,000 years removed from the time that he lived in this world. We would like to think that we would be exempt from having to deal with grief and loss. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world where that would be a reality? And don't we wonder and don't we praise God that one of those great things that we read about in Revelation 21 is that there will be no pain, no sorrow, no sickness when we get to heaven. So today in this audience, every one of us, regardless of how young or old we may be, have something in common with Jesus. Either we will grieve over people that we know and love that will die, either suddenly or tragically or gradually and eventually, or they will grieve over us. It has been called, grief has been called the universal language of reality because every single one of, of every single person that has ever lived has to deal with the reality of grief and loss. It should not surprise us that the Bible was filled with examples, with things that are discussed, both in the Old as well as in the New. But what better person to turn to than our Lord and looking at what Jesus tells us and shows us about the idea of grief and loss as he dealt with the death of his dear friend Lazarus. As the text was read a few moments ago, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Come quickly, your friend Lazarus is sick. And yet the text tells us there in John chapter 11 that Jesus decides to wait for a period of time before coming two days later on. What is it that we learned in that text? First of all, Jesus regarded death as sleep not annihilation. You see, we live in a world today where a person says when a person dies, they just die. That's it. They're over with. Nothing else. There's nothing beyond this world of existence. Obviously, if we believe the Bible, we know it's different. But Jesus uses that phrase in verses 11 through verse 14 to remind us that from God's perspective, that's exactly what it is. When a person dies, they do go to sleep in the sense of their soul goes to the Hadean realm to wait for the judgment and for the final resting place of heaven or hell. Jesus told them, Lazarus is asleep. 
Well, Lord, if he's asleep, then we ought to leave him alone. Then Jesus says, no, he's dead. But that phraseology refers to the fact that we, even though, even though a person dies here, physically speaking, there is still an existence that God has for every one of us. Secondly, we also saw this as an opportunity that Jesus deepened the idea of the faith of those that he dealt with. Continually, verse 15, verse 26, verse 40, verses 42 to verse 45, he on and on and on. He talked about faith, that you may believe, that you can believe this, that you believe in me, that you know that you sent me. Faith. And you're saying, I just don't see the connection. Why would we talk about faith when we talk about death and loss? There's a, there's a connection there. Because in the midst of all that we have to deal with in this world, our faith should sustain us because we believe in Jesus and believe in God and in their power. That's exactly the point that Jesus was making to Mary and to Martha in the text. If you believe in me, God can do certain things. Also, it's interesting that in the text, the reactions of those that were grieving were different. When Jesus gets to Bethany, about two miles south of Jerusalem, he's not only within the city limits before Martha, who's been, as it were, waiting for Jesus or perhaps looking for Jesus, meets him outside. She's looking for him. She's sort of the extrovert. Mary, the introvert, is inside, the text tells us, by herself. People grieve differently. We are as different in regard to our own individual backgrounds of grief and the person or the individual or the loss that we share it with. We're all different. We'll make that point beginning tomorrow evening in regard to the classes that we hold together next, the next three days. But here's just a classic example. Two sisters dealing with the exact same loss. Lazarus has died. In fact, he's already been buried for four days when Jesus gets to them. But Mary's on the outside. Martha's on the outside visiting, talking, being with others. Mary's on the inside by herself. Both are normal. Both, both are absolutely okay. Notice what Jesus talks about. He talks about the resurrection. I realize that it's hard to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for each one of us to someone that is not religious. But to these individuals that obviously love God and were trying to to their, their very best be in fulfillment with God's will, Jesus wanted to talk to them about the resurrection. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was talking about the resurrection even before he had died? and was resurrected by God. But he wanted them to understand, you believe in me? You believe in God? Think about what God can do. And I don't know about you, but when I have to say goodbye to some loved one of mine that has tried to live to the very best the Christian life, yes, there's sadness, We will miss them terribly. But isn't it wonderful to know that we will see them in the afterlife yet again and can, as it were, start 
that relationship yet again. We're dip- the Bible tells us we'll be different, 1 Corinthians 15, among many other passages. But it still will be the person, the being that we will love, that we'll appreciate. In this narrative, after Jesus has gone to be with Mary and Martha, he wants to come to the tomb. And it's there that Jesus gets others to help in that regard. There's a, there's a stone that's covering up where Lazarus' body has been laid. He allows others to go in and to move the stone away. Could he have done it himself? I don't know. Probably it was a very large stone. Usually they were. But the point of the matter was Jesus understood that there was something that they could do. And any time of grief and loss, as we will talk about even tonight, as Don will be speaking, about practical things that not only individuals, but also this congregation can do in this very community of helping not only your church friends, but your neighbors who are not members of the church and others within the community, what you can do to help in time of grief and loss. Jesus saw that, this opportunity, and he gave that opportunity to others. And then as it were, he said, okay, now you get out of the way because there's something that only I can do. Bring back, bring back Lazarus from the dead. On this occasion, our Lord saw this as a time to pray. Continually. We ought to pray in any kind of traumatic situation. Mark mentioned that I teach a coping with cancer class with the Clearview Cancer Institute in, in Huntsville. I've had some very I've had some non-religious people come to that class for support, and and they knew that I was not only a counselor but also a minister. Remember one of them walking in, the very first thing almost out of her mouth. Now me and Jesus, well, I'm just not into this Jesus thing. And I said, you do know that I'm a minister. Yes, I know that. I said, well, come on in, you're welcome. We live in a world today where even non-religious people, if you live the kind of life that's consistent with the Word of God, they will respect you. Because the end of that story, of that narrative that I've just mentioned, in fact, it was really two different individuals that fell into that category. But when they passed away, they asked me to be in charge of the memorial service. And their families said, we know that you want to pray. I said, I sure do. And we had prayers at that service. And other individuals that were asked to be a part of that service talked about the greatness of God. I know we live in a world that is so secular, it seems like in nature. And, and you may live and you may work with people that just detest the very idea of religion. But when push comes to shove, and the reality of a cancer diagnosis goes bad they want you to pray and Jesus did that here and and it's interesting if you look in that text in verse 41 verse 42 
that he lifted his eyes, the text tells us, and then began to pray. And the reason he's, he was praying, God, I want you to understand, these people need to know. In other words, Jesus was praying for them to God. And folks, they may not want us to publicly pray, but I sure will give them consolation for the most part if we let them know privately we are praying for them. The end result is God's word spread because people talked. That's what... And now, some of the talk was negative and some of it was positive. Some of the Pharisees are, some of the people went to the Pharisees and said, you're not going to believe what Jesus just did. He raised the man from the dead and this is what he said. And they all began to gather and figure out what they could do to get after him. But it ought to be that when God's people show Christianity in action at a time of trauma with great compassion, people will talk. And most of that talk will be positive. And most of that talk will be helpful and cathartic and perhaps even perhaps lead to other things. In John chapter 11, we have our Lord dealing with Mary and Martha in regard to the death of their brother. There's four things that our Lord does on this occasion that are tremendously simple that you and I can do today, almost 2,000 years removed from that event of history. The first one, just be real. John 11:35. you know the passage, Jesus wept. That word's a very unusual word in the original language. We typically have said it means that Jesus cried, and he did on the inside. There's eight different words in the original language for crying, for weeping in, in the New Testament. This particular word, daruo, means a person cries on the inside. You see, the text tells us, verse 33, that Jesus was troubled. He groaned in the spirit, which basically means that he sort of just sort of snorted in. That's the original meaning of the word, inside of him. He was so distraught. He was so overwhelmed with emotion that before anything could come out on the outside, he, as it were, was just tore up on the inside. Now, verse 33 tells us in the text that Jesus came to where Mary and a group of the Jews were weeping. That's a different word in the original language. Clio. And it means to weep like a baby. And so when Jesus saw them weeping like a baby, just crying uncontrollably, he was so torn up, he was so overwhelmed with emotion that he cried on the inside. That's what Jesus wept, verse 35, means. But why did he do that? Because his dear, dear friend Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus had been warned, come early, and he didn't. Do yourself a favor sometime and think about the reasons why Jesus cried. Mark, there's your next sermon sometime. Why did Jesus cry? And I have a list of 
probably eight or nine of them, and I'm still adding to them. But what was he trying to do? He was trying to show them it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Brethren, any time in a, in a time of grief or loss or trauma, the people that are just real, the people that are just genuine, the people that are just feeling what they feel, those are the ones that people are going to be comfortable to be themselves around. We, didn't, we don't need to go in with pretexts and with platitudes and, and take charge. We just need to be there to let them know that we care. You know, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonian brethren in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, he's dealing with an issue, a misconception that they have. They're afraid that everyone has to be alive for the Lord to come again because they thought he was coming back imminently. And their loved ones were dying, likely of natural situations. Maybe they were being persecuted. We don't know which. But they were dying anyway. And so Paul is writing to them to encourage them. And, and he says basically this. Look, when you're grieving and when you're, when, you're, when you're dealing with their sadness, it's okay for you to grieve. Just don't grieve as those who have no hope. He didn't say it was wrong for them to grieve. Brethren, today it's fine for us to feel sadness when something tragic happens to us or someone else that we love or a neighbor or a friend or someone, something that happens in this community. Feel what you feel. Be real. Be genuine. That will mean more than you can ever imagine. Secondly, be quiet. John eleven twenty one says, Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. John eleven thirty two says, then, when Je then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever noticed that Martha and Mary were not in the same place at the same time when they said the very same thing? They were in two different places. But yet here's Martha, and then later on, here's Mary, and they say the exact same thing. And I really think they said it in the way that I somewhat was indicating. They were a little bit agitated. They were a little upset. They had sent the Lord word, Lord, come quickly. He didn't. But did you notice that in John 11, verse 22, and in John 11, verse 33, the verses after those two occasions, our Lord did not rebuke them. He did not chastise them. He did not tell them, oh, but you're wrong. He allowed them their grief. In time of trauma, in time of sorrow, in, in time when, as it were, our world turns upside down, we ought to be quiet around people that are having to deal with grief. A man by the name of Joe Bailey 
lost a series of children in different kinds of ways several years. He later on wrote a book entitled The View from the Hearse. This is what he said about one of the occasions when his son died. I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things that I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish that he would go away. He finally did. Another one came and sat beside me. He did not talk. He did not ask me leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour and more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and then left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go away. Jesus knew that in grief and loss, there's a time to talk and there's a time to listen. Be quiet. Thirdly, be supportive. Verse 31 tells us that the Jews were with her, that is with Mary in the house, and comforting her when they saw that Mary got up to leave, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. In verse 34, when Jesus brings the disciples with him, he says, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Here's Jesus and the disciples. Here's a group of ladies or a group of Jews. We don't know how many there were. Four days after the funeral, even after the procession's been done and, and, the, and the body's been buried, they're still spending time with Mary and Martha. Be supportive. Tonight, Don will talk about various ways that we can be supportive. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, Don's going to be in the room that Mark was talking about, dealing with widows and widowers and, and others who are single. And it's not just for those who fall into that category. It's for others that want to learn what to do to help those who are dealing with special kinds of things. I'll be downstairs in the classroom dealing with what everyone needs to know about grief. And I assume that both will be recorded. So if you're in one place, you can be at the other place, at least in regard to listening to that later on. But the point of the matter is, is when we are dealing with any kind of grief loss, we need people to comfort us. We need people to be there for us. I read about a little girl who lost a friend of hers child died tragically. Several weeks later on, this little girl is late for supper and she finally comes in and the father says very sternly, where have you been? Well, I've been over to Miss Jones's house. Why did you go over there? You know what happened to, to her and her family. And the little girl said, Daddy, I was just over there to help her. And the father said, what in the world could you say or do to help her? To which the little girl said very meekly, Daddy, I didn't do anything. I just got up in the lap, in her lap, and I cried with her. That 
is being supportive. Be real. Be quiet. Be supportive. Be available. Chapter 12 is a continuation of this narrative of chapter 11. It's been days, in fact, six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And they made him a supper and Martha served and Lazarus was one of the ones who sat at the table with him. Can you imagine the discussion perhaps that Lazarus had with Jesus on that occasion? Remember, he had gone to the Hadean realm for those four days. Can you imagine his comments, his questions to Jesus? Who would later on go there as well when he died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Can you imagine the discussion they had? But here's the point. Here's Jesus wanting to let them know, to let Lazarus know, that in spite of this great trauma that they had faced, he was going to be there for them. If there's nothing else that Don and I say these next four days, I want you to remember this one thing. According to research, most people forget families that are in any kind of crisis and quit spending time with them 97% of the time within two weeks. That is, within two weeks of any kind of loss, whatever it is, 97% of the folks who had been there beforehand forget them after two weeks. And you know, if you've ever been there before, that it's after two weeks that the real shock of what's really happening begins to take effect. The, the, the reality of what this loss means begins to really hit you hard. And when 97% of the quit, people quit giving, asking or talking or spending time with you or coming by or praying for you or sending you a card or asking you at church how are you doing and they really mean it, then you begin to look around and wonder, where did everybody go? Our Lord wanted Lazarus and Mary and Martha to know that he wasn't going anywhere. You see, in, in this narrative, what we have is Jesus allowing Mary and Martha to express their grief. And, and we live in a world today where a lot of folks just are not allowed to express their grief, to deal with it. We live in a hurry-up world, an instant kind of world. We think that within just a couple of days or a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, everyone ought to be over it by now. That just does not work and compute to someone dealing with a great trauma in their life. I'm afraid today the reason so many people are having problems after the fact is because they're not allowing someone to deal with them in a kind and loving and a benevolent way. And that's what our Lord was trying to do. He was just trying to be real. 
to feel their pain. And he wanted them to say whatever they wanted to say because he could handle it. He was quiet. And, and he was trying to be supportive. He, will, he wanted to go and be with them. He wanted to see where they had buried him. Of course, they're also to bring him back from the grave. But he wanted, them to, he wanted to be available to them as well. Some lessons we learn from John chapter 11 about what Jesus teaches us. Today, if you're in this audience, I don't know what kind of loss that you may be going through now or have already faced, or perhaps will even face in the future. But I know this. Jesus cares. If you're not a child of God, the greatest thing He ever did for you was down on the cross of Calvary for your sins. You can become a New Testament Christian today. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you need just the prayers of this congregation in dealing with whatever it is that you're facing Jesus cares. Hopefully we care. And if you need to respond in any way, we invite you to come. Let's go. We stand in the invitation.